0: Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18, is our focus. Stephanie has informed me that this is my 21st message on eight points. That's very efficient, don't you think? I may set a new record. She says, Well, do you know when you're going to finish? And I said, Well, sure. Eventually, so if not, uh, you guys catch me in heaven, we'll finish it up there. Second Corinthians chapter three, verses six through 18, it's going to be a long day. Let us pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, we who are called by your name, we all. May we have ears to hear. Father, may we have eyes to see. And may our souls be eager for the truth that spoke existence into being. Father, as we go through this time, this time of teaching. Father, through this time of letting your word rest deep in our souls. Father, may your spirit energize it. And Father, if there's something new that is taught today, let us stand forth with a great hallelujah. Father, if there is something new that has been rekindled, let us sing forth with praise to our Father and our Lord and our Savior. Father, help us. Help us in this day, in this era, that we are here this day for your reason, your purpose, your plan Alone. Do not let us be entangled. Do not let us stumble. Strengthen us for the task that is at hand. Let us run this race. Worthy. To your glory and praise. Amen. Beginning in verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter. But of the spirit. For the letter kills but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the spirit fail to be even more with glory for if the ministry of condemnation has glory much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Their minds are hardened to this very day, the reading of the old covenant. The same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord. I was reading Linsky on this, and he was speaking of each line in this and each reference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is like threads of a fabric, and you weave them together and you have a cloth. And I thought, that's very appropriate with this text. Because Paul is contrasting the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Okay, Now, when I speak of the Old Covenant, when Paul speaks of the Old Covenant, when Paul speaks of the reading of Moses, he's speaking of the three parts that make up the writings of Moses. One is the civil law that set Israel apart. That's Deuteronomy. The second law, that's what Deuteronomy means. The second law, you as a nation called by God are set apart from all other nations of the world. Second part is what we call the Decalogue, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Okay, the third part is that to worship God, the sacrificial, uh, the rituals and all of that that were done in the temple. Now, if you're truly honest with yourself without being a deep theologian or any of that other stuff, you can see that the civil law is done away with. Okay. Go to Israel. Check it out. It's, it's, It's just it's a democracy. Well, it's parliamentarian, but it's democracy. All right. And. They're not doing any sacrifices up there on the temple mound. But the moral law is still intact. All right. And yet, if you go through the Old Covenant, you go through the Old Testament, how are you saved? How can any three parts of that law save you? None. Can't do it. And yet, it does bring glory. It shows you... The plan and the purpose, the character and the nature of who is God. All right. There's 43 chapters on how to worship. Three chapters on creation. I'm seeing an emphasis. What do you think? All right. But when you look at that, you're starting to look at the person of God. It's the revealing of God. Charles Spurgeon probably put it the best that I've ever read. He said that the Old Testament is the most eloquent mansion you could ever dream of, ever imagine, in detail, in woodworking, in the ornate styles that could be there. And the New Testament turns all the lights on so you see the detail. Okay? That is where all of a sudden the glory of the old passes away and the glory of the new, you stand in awe. This verse 18 is one of the most powerful verses that I have ever read. And that's where we're focusing today. Actually, we are going to focus on two words today. I'm laying a foundation for the next three weeks. Okay, those three words are right there at the beginning of verse 18. Two words, we all. It just proves Paul was a Southerner. Okay. That verse right there, verse 18, is what I call sanctification. Okay? You would call it Christian growth. All right? We've already looked at that it is spirit energized in verse 17. Okay? And you can just back up your outline. Okay? But the last time I was with you, I asked a question at the beginning of our service on why were you saved? Why were you saved? And I said, you know what? Of all the verses in the Bible that every Christian ought to know is, why were you saved? Okay, now, 99.9% of Christians would say to go to heaven. And that is not why you were saved. Now, don't get me wrong. That is definitely a fringe benefit. Okay, I'll give you that. But that is not why you were saved. The reason that every child of God throughout the course of time has ever been saved is one purpose. You have one purpose. Okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Write that down. You should write it in the front of your Bible, in the middle of your Bible, at the end of your Bible. Why was I saved? For those he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed into the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. That is why you were saved. You were saved to be conformed into Jesus Christ. Did you let that sink in? Do you understand that? You weren't. Saved so you could have a nice marriage. You weren't saved to have cute little kids or grandkids. You weren't saved to get your PhD or, or, you know, become the president of the United States or any of these other things. You were saved to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you were saved. Everything else is irrelevant. Do you understand that? I watch people who try to manipulate themselves into what it will be like to be, quote unquote, have you ever heard this phrase? A dysfunctional family. Okay? Here's my problem with that phrase. Can anybody show me functional? Do you understand? God incarnate was in a dysfunctional family, his mother was a sinner. His father was God. That's functional. And I mean, really? But you and I get wrapped up in our selves and you forget the purpose that you're here. Do you understand the purpose you're here? Once you get that hammered out in your life, it's a piece of cake. It is a piece of cake. That is the purpose that you were saved. God wants to create a redeemed humanity, a reconciled humanity in the likeness of His Son. That was the plan before He created. God's eternal promise to the Son was to create a redeemed humanity who would be made just like Jesus. Now, I hate to break the news to you. That there takes some planning. Okay? We, you and I, were saved to be like Christ. Remember? We don't know what we shall be like. I haven't seen Christ. I'm still trying to deal with the thing where he sits down in the table in the upper room and he eats the fish and then he walks through the wall. Does the fish stay here? How does that work? I mean, the the fish is still of sinful creation. He just whoop, through the wall. I mean, all of a sudden he's there and, and he's gone. I don't know what that means. We will be like him when he appears. Okay, that's the goal. Let me ask you something. Every single one of you have goals. Some of you are in retirement. Some of you are trying to retire. Some of you are just getting started. I'm going to ask you a question. What's your goal? What's your goal? You, do you know how much time you have? I don't know how much time you have. What is the goal of the time that God has given you? Now, Kendall wants to win a tennis match. Isn't that true? At least one. We have goals, don't we set goals? I mean, even I set goals, I mean, and everybody, anybody knows me, I'm a planner. I plan on the sun coming up in the east and I plan on it setting in the west and what happens in between, I don't know. Just go with the flow. The purpose of our redemption, the purpose of our reconciliation, why we were saved is to be made like Christ. In time we wait the reality of it. Okay, I await it. Uh, This week, when when you're sick, you want the reality of it quicker than other times. Right? Got the body aches and all that other stuff that goes on. I'm ready to be like Christ now. The reality is, is, is that every breath you have been graced, We become more and more like that. Or, as I was teaching this morning in our Sunday school class, you are resisting the Spirit. Sanctification is more and more like Christ. Paul, and I spend probably more time with him than anybody, Paul saw that as the very reason for life. As a believer. You'll hear him make statements like this. This one thing I do. You ever thought about that? This one thing I do, everything else is going on. You know, I got my eight to five Monday through Friday or whatever it is I'm doing, you know, dealing with the kids, dealing with the grandkids or planning this or planning that. But this one thing I do, it's right there all the time. It never, ever goes away. And everything that I look at, that I look across the time, I look across the day, I look across the things that are coming at me moment by moment in my life. This one thing I continue at. I press toward the goal, the high calling of Christ likeness. You ever thought about that? I'm going to ask you a question. Every one of you. And I want you to be pierced by this. Every one of you. What's the goal of your life? Am I willing to pull it all together because it's all coming together? All of these things in my life, my education, my relationships, my place of work, my employment, my... 401k, my giving, my monies and everything. And it's all coming together for the goal of three weeks vacation in Barbados. What do I pull it all together for? Ask yourself, what is your goal? Let me show you my brother here. Paul. In chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians. Verses eleven to thirteen. Speaking of what is the church and how the dynamic of the church works. You know, I watch people who forsake the assembly together. And um, it's frustrating as a pastor. And I mean, if you think about it, we have some of the most lamed excuses. But for not going to church it's too nice it's been nasty all week and this is the nice day of the week or it's this is a nasty day of the week and I I better not go but you know what you're missing why do I go to church to start with okay see the church 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 is the pillar and foundation of truth that's what church is It isn't the worship band. It isn't the, you know, I really like the youth teacher or anything like that. It is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Okay? That's what the church is for. But look what he did. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers for the equipping, the training of the saints for the work of Service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until what? Until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of what? The stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What? Until we all look like Christ. Church has got its hands full. That's right there is what you call job security. Job security. This is the theme of the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 4.19. My children... With whom I am again in labor. Have you ever thought about that statement? That's an insane statement. I've got to do this again? You know, if you talk to most women who have given birth naturally, it wasn't one of their most pleasant times. Okay, but anyway. um, You know, then they see the little darlings and it's all better. (laughs) Um, Every two hours, it's always better. (laughs) My children with whom I am again in labor. And what? I am in labor with you, brethren. I am in labor with you, saints. What? Until Christ is formed in you. Are you guys with me yet? Because if not, then I got another one for you. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 28. This verse right here is the passion of me. The person that you see standing here is based on that verse right there. Verse 28. We proclaim him. You know what that means, right? Preach. Preach. I've heard people say, Terry, you're obsolete. You're just a preacher. Probably. We proclaim Him. We stand before you and we preach, admonishing every man and teaching. Because that's the positive and the negative. Admonish says, "Oh, uh, that's going to get you into trouble." Okay, teaching this won't. <laughs> okay, now you know what? I got people who won't come to me. No, because you'll tell me truth and it always hurts, and I don't want to hear it. Suit yourself. Because at some point, you're going to go through the ditch, through the valley, through the ravine, through the canyon, across the briar patch, over the gravel, up through the desert, and you can come back to me going, okay, what? And I could have saved you some mileage. Here's what it says. Admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man... You know what the word complete in Christ right there is? The word complete? Talistai. Perfect. Lacks nothing. Think about that for a second. Every single one of you in this room right now are dealing with do's and don'ts and maybes and ifs and ands and buts and all the rest of it. And yet I can tell you this right now. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. Paul wanted to bring everyone as close to the very image of Christ as he could. You know what my passion is? Same. Same thing. And some of you guys are just frustrating. But anyway, the goal of discipleship, the goal of Christian living, God by His Spirit moves us toward Christ's likeness. You know what that means? All the things the world says you need, you don't. You don't. All the patterns that the world says you should do this and this and this and this, you don't. But if I do this and no, no, you should be taught. You should look for admonishment. Did you know that? Don't let me deceive myself. do you find that fascinating? And the Holy Spirit is taking each and every one of us from one level of, glory to the next level of 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 glory. And you know what I've learned? He does it in spite of us. That is the heart of the Christian experience. That should be the single thing that every single one of us is as passionate about. If you ever get into a room and a conversation with me, uh, you know, I'll talk about Ohio State and how they should stick with football um, and a few other odds and ends. So, hey, listen, I grew up a Kentucky fan because when I was growing up in Ohio, Ohio State basketball was awful. All right. So you went with a winning team and that tended to be Kentucky. So when Kentucky, Ohio State played, I ain't going to lose this. (laughs) But if you want to see me be passionate, there's one thing I'm passionate about. And it won't take you long to identify it. Okay? And other than that, whatever. Whatever. If you go back to your text in 2 Corinthians... If you go through that text 6 through six through 18, you'll find that there's a key word that shows rapidly. If you take uh, after worship service, go through with a little red pen and mark it every time, and you'll see it repeated every time, and the word is glory. Glory is the theme of the text. What we're looking at is the glory of the new covenant. We see a work of increasing glory in the life of a believer. A work. The New Covenant believers experience an increasing glory. And guess who it's contrast to? Moses. And Moses' glory was a fading glory. And yet if you go to the Jews today, the greatest single man in all of Judaism is who? I mean, that's why they were after Paul. Because they believe he was blaspheming Moses. And yet, if you, if, and this is going to be really quick. I've got to cover the entire Old Testament. God's glory revealed to his people is not a new thing. It's not a new thing. What Father in heaven does, that's how he does it. Let me show you my glory. He started with Adam and Eve. In the cool of the afternoon, what did He do? He walked and talked with them. He revealed Himself to the nation of Israel when He set aside the twelve tribes. He was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God in the past took all of His attributes. Okay. Old Testament. I'm telling you this now. Get this down because I'm going to use some emphatics. He took all of his attributes. You know what attributes are? All that he is. Okay. You can't go across your attributes. You can't cross them. Okay. This is of his very nature. All right. So he takes all of his attributes and he transformed them into visible light which would represent His presence. He revealed His glory to His people. Remember, the glory came into the tabernacle and you had this this big, thick walled tent that would light up with all of the attributes of God and it would glow. And you know what's amazing? I was thinking about this. Do you understand something? Do you remember what God appointed Aaron as? Priest? Did he? You will be the priestly line, right? You know what's amazing about that? None of the priests could minister until the completion of the temple. Did you ever think about that? Who went into the tabernacle to see God? Nope, Moses. Only Moses. And the only time you see the priest ministering their priestly function is at the completion of the temple. Do you see the time frame there? But his presence would fill the tabernacle. If you go look in your Hebrew little dictionary thing and check out the word Shekinah, that's always what we talk about, the Shekinah glory. Of God. You know what the word Shekinah means? Presence. The presence of God manifests in light. He is light. I am the light of the world. My presence lights up the world, my attributes light up the world. You look at creation, you see the person of God. And it is seen in blazing light. I want to go back because we have a tendency sometimes to look at Exodus and think of Charlton Heston. Don't we? Got that. Remember, his hair's all black, and all of a sudden he gets them white stripes in it. Look, Chuck. Exodus 34, verse 9. Exodus 34, no, verse 29, sorry, verse 9. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony which were in Moses' hands he was coming down from the mountain. Two tablets of the testimony. What is that? Ten commandments. Written in stone. Okay? That Moses did not know that his skin of his face shone because he was speaking with them. Okay? So he didn't have a mirror. Alright? He didn't know he was going in the dark. He didn't realize... That he was just just shining her up. He was reflecting the what? Presence of the glory of the attributes of God. He got two Ten Commandments. Comes walking down the hill thinking, dude, was that a trip or what? All right. Read on. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. Brilliant, And it says they were afraid to come near him. When Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. Do you know what that means? They had to return to him. They saw him coming down the hill. Guess what? I'm out of here. Moses has done stepped into something wrong. Right? See, that's a, That's the thing you hear people saying. Well, I, I was talking to an angel. You know what? Samson's dad talked to an angel. And what did he do? We're going to die, dear. <laughs> I talked to an angel. I, I, I mean, um, John the Baptist's father couldn't speak until the birth of his kid. You know, people say, well, I, I was out talking to angels. I had a lady come up to me one time and tell me, she says, you know, you're surrounded by angels. I can teach you how to control them. And I said, I don't need that. And they said, what do you mean you don't need that? I said, I know their boss. I don't need to control angels. I know who created them. Oh, and we're like that. Did I tell you that? Oh, sorry. Moses called to them and all the rulers of the congregation was turned to him. Moses spoke to them and afterward all the sons of Israel came near and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken. When Moses had finished speaking to them, he did what? He put a veil over his face. When he was speaking forth for the Lord, he was reflecting the attributes and the glory of God, which are the same... And when he got done speaking for them, guess what? Put a veil over his face. Why? Because he wanted to have friends. People just don't go talk to people who glow. I, I'm not going to go up and talk to him. Afterwards, sons of Israel came near, commanded him to do everything. When Moses had finished speaking, he put the veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in, before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out, he spoke to the sons of Israel what had been commanded. And the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. So he would cover up the Shekinah. He'd cover up This reflective glory. Alright, so up until this time, you can see how God had revealed His glory. You can see how God revealed His attributes. And then this time, on Mount Sinai, He reflected them on man. It had been in man's presence, and now God moved it here for the first time to reflect on man. Okay? That's the first time the glory of God was literally... Literally, on the face of man. Aaron's sons in Israel, they were afraid when they saw it. They saw the attributes of God on the face of man and it scared them. They were seeing the glory of the old covenant. Got that? The glory of God came to his people and the glory of God came on His people. The old covenant, with its civil ceremonial and moral law, had a glory. Okay? And it's still glorious. Because it's from God. It's holy, just, and good. When I see that, I understand God is revealing His nature. God is revealing His character. God is revealing the person of who He is. God is revealing His will. God is revealing His redemptive purpose. It has glory. Okay? Now then. Back up. Or back. Go forward, I guess. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 again. Verse 70. Verse seven. That glory, verse seven, was the ministry of death. In letters engraved on stone, and it came what? With glory. There are many in the evangelical church today who downplay the law of God. How can you downplay the glory of God? Still came with glory. Had so much glory that the sons of Israel couldn't even look at it. The old covenant had a divine glory. Everybody with me? We're all all picking this up, all right? It was from God. It demonstrated, it showed God's character. God's will for man. God's plan for reconciliation. But, there's a greater glory. Verse 9. If the ministry of condemnation, the old covenant has glory. Much more does the ministry of righteousness, what? Abound in glory. Hmm. Interesting. Verse 10. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpassed it. It's like I put a 20 watt light bulb here. And a 150 watt light bulb here. All of a sudden I can't see the 20 watt. But if I shut the 150 off. Yeah, I can see that. That's bright. I put the 150 on it. Guess what? What 20 watt bulb? That's how he's contrasting it. Understand. When you look at the word glory in this text. We are looking at the attributes of who is God. God. verse 11 for that which is remaining that which fades away was with glory all right got it my 21 bulbs faded had glory much more that remains has glory can okay, I ask you What was the purpose of a Christian being saved? Verse 18. But we all contrast to Moses with unveiled face. Okay? The old covenant had a glory. The old covenant Gave that glory to men. God placed it on men. I hope you're all paying attention because the new covenant has a glory and it is placed in men. Okay. Are you sitting down? Think about this real hard. What I'm about to say. We have more in common with the transfigured Christ than we do with Moses. Matthew 17, Christ pulled back the veil of his flesh to reveal what? The glory of God. The attributes, the character, the nature of God. In John chapter 1 verse 14, we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth are part of the attributes of God, which would be His glory. Remember, Moses said, Show me your glory. And he says, Let me stick you over here in the cleft of the rock, and as I walk by, you will see my grace and mercy. That's His attributes. We beheld His glory... That brightness. Now John's going right back to the Mount of Transfiguration. He pulled that back and Peter says, let's build some tabernacles and hang out here, dude. I ain't sure what this is. And I got to give Peter credit. I wouldn't have been able to talk. I'd have been doing the, whoa. (laughs) An inward glory radiated. Radiated. From Christ Okay Now if that don't blow your mind Then you need to read that verse again Because it says But we all It doesn't say The pastor's have an inward glory that is radiated by Christ. doesn't say the elders have an inward glory that is radiated by Christ. The Sunday school teachers, they have an inward glory that is radiated by Christ. It says, if you have drawn to Christ, entered into the new covenant, guess what? It is not on you, it is in you. Do you see why I am passionate about this? Do you see why I throw my hands up and make odd noises when I hear pragmatism? Because he says, we all. And if you can't radiate Christ, get saved. Get saved. You really think you're going to go do that? You know, I've been to church today. I'm going to go out and be just like Jesus. Woohoo. I'll stay in my office a little longer. With Moses, it was external. It was reflected. Don't get me wrong. It was bright enough to freak out Aaron and the sons of Israel. But we have more in common with the glory that Christ showed at the transfiguration than the glory of Moses on Mount Sinai. Do you see why Paul would fight adamantly against the old covenant proclamation? Do you see why I will not buy pragmatism? I will not buy ritual. I will not buy systems. Methodologies. Why? We all have more in common with the transfiguration of Christ than we do with Moses on Mount Sinai. See what happens when you give me a week off? In Christ, he says, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is what? Taken away. The Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is lead him. But we with unveiled face. In Christ, ours is an eternal. Why? That is the nature of the new covenant. The glory, the attributes placed within us because of the living Christ. We have been buried with Christ in baptism of his death to be Raised in Christ to walk in the newness of life. In the transfiguration. I walk radiating the person of Christ. And there are so many of us who shortchange that. Well, you just don't understand. I have a busy day. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The Old Covenant was an external glory. It was a reflection of the attributes of God. Absolutely, I agree. The New Covenant has an internal glory. Verse 18 says that we are being transformed. From what? What does it say? Glory to glory. Okay, what does glory mean? Attributes of God. One level of His attributes to the next level of His attributes to the next level of His attributes. Till people get, have to stand around us with their holy ray bands. Dude is going. Old covenant was a fading glory. New covenant is a permanent glory. Old covenant is a decreasing glory. New covenant is an increasing glory. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. The old covenant could only minister death, verse 7 says. The old covenant could only minister condemnation, verse 9 says. It made mankind guilty. It had no ability to save them. The new covenant abounds. The new covenant is superior. The new covenant gives life. The new covenant produces righteousness. The new covenant is permanent. The new covenant brings hope. The new covenant is clear. The new covenant is Christ-centered. The new covenant is Spirit-energized. And the new covenant transforms. The New Covenant does everything that the Old Covenant couldn't. So I'm going to close with this single thought again. You have more in common with the transfigured Christ than you do with Moses on the Mount Sinai. That's the foundation of what we'll study over the next two weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the New Covenant. Father, may we who are called by Your name be overwhelmed with this privilege. Lord, may we, may we decrease. May You increase. Father, may we understand that we lack nothing. We have no need of nothing. And yet, Father, through our frail human bodies, You have infused the pureness of Christ in us. What an awesome God You truly are. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for what you've done. May we continue to walk the way that brings glory and honor to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.